please stand for the gospel lesson, uh, which today comes from John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. And let me just remind you, this is God's word to us, and it's given to us because he loves us. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is the gospel of our Lord. All right, now you can be seated. And Heavenly Father, we do ask that you bless the reading and preaching of your word, that you would speak to us this morning because your voice is the voice that we need to hear above all others, the voice of love. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So a couple weeks ago, I traveled to Texas and then had to leave Texas and go straight to Washington, D.C. for a presbytery meeting. And my flight from Texas to Washington, D.C. got in to D.C. at midnight, and I was tired and exhausted, and I could not get off that plane fast enough because all I wanted to do was to get in a lift and get to my hotel and go to bed as quickly as possible. And in my haste to get off the plane, I left my watch in the seat back pocket of the airplane. And I didn't realize it until I got in the lift to go to my hotel and did this and was like, oh shoot, I don't have my watch. Now, no big deal. Uh, It's just a cheap $15 Amazon watch, which is why I don't wear expensive watches or expensive sunglasses for that matter, because I lose them. But what actually stinks about leaving my watch in the seat back pocket of that airplane was that my wedding band was strapped to my watch band. You see, my habit is whenever I get to places or whatever, and especially on airplanes because your fingers, you know, swell up or whatever and all that atmospheric change or whatever that is going on, I take my watch off, I put my wedding band on my watch strap, I strap my watch strap, and I put it in the seat back pocket. This is just like automatic for me. Like do it without even thinking. That is just what I do as soon as I get on an airplane and my wedding band was on the watch band. And I was pretty bummed because I figured up I probably lost that watch band. I'm in that wedding band. But I thought, you know what? When I go back to the airport to fly from D.C. to New York, I'll just, you know, Shot in the dark, needle in a haystack, I'll go by the United counter and see if someone turned it in. So I did. I found the United Airlines lost and found in the bowels of the D.C. Reagan Airport. And uh, when I got there, there were two ladies uh, for United working the counter. And one lady was at the counter filling out a lost uh, report. And I said, hey, has anyone turned in a cheap watch with a wedding band attached to the watch band? And uh, they all three looked at me at the same time and went, ooh, you in trouble. (laughs) And I told him, here's the thing. That wedding band 
is not the original wedding band. In fact, that's probably the fourth or fifth wedding band. And that wedding band, in fact, was not a very expensive wedding band. It was a $15 cheap Amazon wedding band because I have already lost the original wedding band. Geez, Brian, what the heck is up with you losing watches and wedding bands? Well, it is not an indication of marital fidelity or commitment to marriage, which was how these three ladies were looking at me right now. And I said, let me explain, okay? This is what happened. The original wedding band, the one that Jesse gave me on our wedding day, I had lost many, many, many years ago. We lived in Missouri while I was in seminary, and uh, we were poor, and we didn't have a lot of money, so for entertainment, we went hiking and camping a lot, because that's all we could afford for the most part. It's free and cheap to go hiking and camping. And one time, we were camping, and we went on a hike, and we had to cross a stream that the water was flowing at a pretty good pace, like, I don't know, whatever the lowest class rapids are, that's what it was. Nothing crazy, but, you know, pretty deep and, and moving pretty quick. And Georgia, my oldest, at the, at the time, she was like, I don't know, two or less, so way too small to go across this stream by herself. So I pick her up in my right arm, and I start going across. And I get out in the middle of the stream, and I lose my balance in the, in the current, in the rocks, and whatever. And I stumble, and I put my hand down to catch myself. And when I did, and I'm fumbling around under the water... I find a rock to steady myself, but my ring slips off my finger, and I pin it on the rock with the tip of my ring finger. So I'm like this in the water. I got the wedding band. This is the OG one, the original one, mind you, not the cheap $15 Amazon one. And I got Georgia in this arm, ring, Georgia, ring, Georgia, by ring, and there it goes. Uh, yeah. I like to think that someone like Smeagol from Lord of the Rings finds it one day. It's like this cool <laughs> moment. Now, that was a somewhat costly, it was not a $15 Amazon ring from Amazon, right? That was a somewhat costly but easy decision. I'm sure that you would agree. I like that Georgia is still with us today, and I like that I am not crushed with guilt that I let my infant child drown just to save a couple hundred dollar wedding ring. I mean, that's a no-brainer because that's what any good father would do in such a situation. Now, as I'm telling this story, I realize it's Mother's Day. I should be telling acts of heroism by Jesse, not me. So I will tell you one briefly. When Georgia was also a baby, we were in New Orleans, actually with Jameson and Laura Galt. That was the trip where they convinced Jesse and I that we should go to seminary and I should become a pastor. Yes, thank you. Anyway, as it is wont to do in Louisiana and New Orleans, you get these pop-up thunderstorms that just come out of nowhere. And, on, and so we're in the French Quarter and this thunderstorm breaks out and it starts raining really hard. And so we got to rush to try to get some cover and Jessie has Georgia, and she's running across the street in between traffic in a crosswalk, and she's wearing flip-flops, and now the street is all super slick. You know how when it starts raining, it gets that film on it? And she slips and does a complete somersault tumble roll forward, pops right back up and keeps going, and Georgia never even knows anything even happened. 
Not a cry, not a nothing. Jesse's bleeding on her knees from where she skinned her knees. And I kid you not, everyone around that intersection gave a standing applause at how amazing that was that she did this acrobatic somersault in the, in the sidewalk and, and didn't even phase Georgia or give her a scratch on her head or anything. So there you go. Happy Mother's Day, Jesse. So why the longer intro to a typical Brian Stedman sermon? Because I usually don't give long intros. Well, it's because my kids pay better attention when I tell stories. And because there's a lot to unpack in John chapter 10. All right? There is a lot of things in this chapter. The Good Shepherd chapter of John's gospel, perhaps one of the most packed chapters And all the Bible in terms of Jesus going into the depths of what it means that he is the good shepherd. That he is the good shepherd that Israel has asked for in their prayers for over hundreds of years. We have already prayed the same thing today in our call to worship. We have sang it in our songs. Psalm 23 is perhaps one of the most popular and cherished prayers given to us in the Bible for us to use as our own prayers. Well, John 10 follows John 9. Duh, right? The account of John 9 is of Jesus healing the blind man who was blind from birth. And the whole drama of that action that Jesus set off between the religious authorities of Jesus's day and the religious community of that locale is what is the context for John chapter 10. Jesus heals this blind man from birth. It sets off this whole debate and fuss and that is, that is what is going on in John chapter 10. In fact, it's part of this whole sequence of uh, an escalation of rising tension between Jesus and the Jewish authorities. You see, the religious authorities are threatened by Jesus. The religious authorities of Jesus' name are threatened by Jesus' power. They don't like that the masses are following after him. They don't like how Jesus subverts their system of political power and control, and they really don't like that Jesus keeps making inference that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he and the Father are one, that he is the one who is promised to come and to set everything straight. But because they have to be careful, because what if, right? What if this Jesus guy is the real deal. I mean, if he did, in fact, heal a man blind from birth, that's something. It's not nothing, right? Because if Jesus is the real deal, then they don't want to be on Jesus' bad side because you have to understand their expectation of what the Messiah was going to do when he did come was to kick Rome in the tail and put Israel back at the top of the world pecking order. So if Jesus is the real deal, they certainly don't want to be on the wrong side of that. And this is why they keep asking, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? And Jesus' reply, I already told you. I already gave you the answer. Listen to what he says in verses 1 through 6 of this chapter. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. 
A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. You want to know who is the real deal good shepherd of Psalm 23? The good shepherd doesn't sneak in through the back door. The good shepherd doesn't slip in through a window. He comes in the sheepfold door. He comes in the front door. And the gatekeeper lets him in because he recognizes him as the one who cares for the sheep. And when he enters the sheepfold, the sheep don't scatter in fear because they recognize the good shepherd. They have seen his works. They have heard his voice. There's no secret. There's no suspense. It's plain as day. This is what he says in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves. He leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees Because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus says, you want to know if I'm the real deal? If I'm the Christ? I didn't come to save my own skin. I'm not here to save my own skin. I'm here to lay down my life for the sheep. Now, I'd have gone down as one of the most low-down, dirty, awful human beings in the history of the world if in that moment my wedding band was slipping off to the edge of my finger, I would have chosen saving a couple hundred dollar gold ring over the life of my child. I know that seems a silly thing to say. I mean, who wouldn't make that decision in that moment? I don't know, here's some really awful stuff these days, but what if that gold ring was not what was on the line in that moment? What if my life was on the line to save Georgia from drowning? Well, I would have drowned if that's what it meant that Georgia would have lived. No doubt, honey pee, that's the decision that I would have made in that moment. Well, we know that Jesus is the good shepherd, that we long to take care of us because when the heat gets real, when it's do or die time, will he stay and defend the sheep versus the wolves, or will he save his own skin and flee because he's not the real deal? Jesus stays, and he lays down his life for the sheep. There is nothing, nothing, that can snatch us from his hand. There's no wolf. There's no rushing river. There's no awful thing that you've done. There's no shame. There's no failure in our lives. There's no depression or anxiety. There are no bombs or drones or tanks. There's no virus. There's no loss of wealth. There's no loss of health. There is nothing that can snatch us from our Father's hands. Not even death 
is powerful enough to snatch us out of the Father's hand because when the stuff got real, Jesus stayed. Jesus stayed with the sheep until the wolves killed him. But not the wolves, not death, not hell could snatch the Son from the Father's hand. We know that Jesus is the real deal good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. We know that he has the power to hold us in his embrace, no matter what, because the resurrection of Jesus vindicates that there is no power, there is no force in this world more powerful than the embrace of his love. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.